Hey, it's your wingman Kagan, and welcome to the Dangerously Vulnerable Podcast, where we talk to honest leaders who care less about perception and more about the success of others. Today, we're going to dive into a visionary's life and learn how adversity, failings, and bad decisions have shaped their lives, their thinking, and their definition of success. There's absolutely no room for inflated success stories, so you can take notes on the learnings that have shaped them for the better. This podcast is brought to you by Height Digital in Oklahoma City, one of the leading creative and marketing agencies for visionaries looking to accelerate their growth and increase their revenue. Let's go. Taylor Doe, how are you? Man, I am doing well. Thank you for uh, having me on the podcast. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Uh, the way we met was I, I was looking and scrolling like everyone else does <laughs> on Facebook and uh, wasting my time. And I found this, this video uh, and it said how people get the good jobs. I wasn't looking for a job, um, but some, someone said on the, on the post that it was an incredible talk, Mm. Ted talk. And so I don't know why clickbait, I guess I clicked it. And I will tell you from that moment on, I was floored, intrigued, obsessed with what you were talking about. So thanks for being on. And uh, I definitely want to talk more about that. Cool. Well, thank you for those kind words. Um, I'm glad the clickbait got you. Uh, I I probably call that transferred trust of like, Hey, is it, is it worth watching this? I I sort of believe this person. So I appreciate you clicking on it and I'm glad we get to to chat today. Well, fantastic. Well, first off, let's just give the context here of who you are. So I'd love for you just to give all the listeners just a, a quick overview of who you are, where you've come from, and what you're doing now. Yeah. So my my name is Taylor Doe. Um, I also go by the nickname Tito, uh, Taylor Doe. And I'm an Oklahoma boy. So I grew up in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, uh, about you know, 30, 40 minutes north of Tulsa. And then I went to the University of Oklahoma and then worked at an energy company here in Oklahoma City. Uh, called Sandridge Energy and got to do kind of community outreach for them, kind of um, set up mentoring uh, programs for employees to to mentor students. And so I got to work in schools uh, every week and do kind of school-wide assemblies uh, and build relationships with students and teachers. And then I started a tech company with one of my younger brothers. Uh, his name is Chris, and that company is called Notebird. And so we do that full-time. And I had an opportunity to give a TED talk. So now I'm kind of speaking and working with businesses as well, um, just because I have some of that flexibility with with the tech company. So um, that's what I'm doing right now. Congratulations. How long have you been doing the tech company? Man, we've been doing it for a few years. Uh, I actually, it was kind of a side project for us. We both loved our our jobs at the time when I came up with the idea. Uh, Chris is very technical. He's a wizard. So he's the one who has built the whole app. I do all of the kind of marketing uh, business development, customer support stuff. So we work really well together. We don't want to do each other's jobs. So it yeah. works out pretty well for us uh, as we're as we're running that. So and what's what do you guys solve? What problem do you solve? Right now we are we are a very simple relationship management software, uh, mainly used in kind of the religious sectors. So in churches. Okay. Uh, leaders, pastors and their teams use Notebird to organize pastoral care. So as they're making visitations to the hospital or homebound visitations or meeting with congregants for coffee, they're they're logging those notes in our software um, and able to follow up and kind of track big life milestones. So when someone has a loved one pass away, um, they're able to to track that in in our software. Man, I, I know a lot about pastoral care. I'm a I'm a pastor's kid. So 
Uh, yep. I know all about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you, you know about the kind of the infamous pastoral care spreadsheet um, mm-hmm. that people typically start with or kind of just writing it in your notes or post-it notes in your notes app. It's just kind of all over. And so what we're really trying to do is centralize all of that. Uh, so I actually got my start in corporate America uh, caring for employees. And so that's where I mm. first needed that tool. Employees were telling me details um, kind of about their kids and their dreams and, you know, things that they were going through and needed a way to stay organized. And so that was kind of the birth of, of why we built it to help people care for the people that they're leading uh, and love the most. Man and tech company. I mean, what, what a time to, to get in. So how would you say it's gone thus far? Man, it's been good. We, um, we have an older user base, uh, mm-hmm. people who use our tools. So we've been very intentional on the way that we've like built our technology in the design to feel welcoming and inviting. Uh, we have three main pages and three main buttons. Like that's all we do. Uh, and so kind of being able to, to be very inviting for those people who are not necessarily tech first in their approach, uh, but people first. And so we know that and want to be a compliment to, to their ministry and the, in how they're caring for their people. That's awesome. I could talk about that all day and uh, lots of things uh, in yeah. regards to, to tech and technology. But I want to get into more of of why we're here. And it's this idea of and then moments. And you you gotta you gotta tell me, I mean, why even do the TED talk? Were you were you expecting to do this? You know, some people get a coach and they're like, I'm gonna do a TED talk, I'm gonna change the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what was your overall expectation? Yeah, good question. So uh, I'll back up a little bit. Um, I When I was working at that energy company here in Oklahoma City, like I said, I was working in schools um, and building relationships in Northeast Oklahoma City. Uh, and so that was just my passion to be around young people. I moved to the east side of Oklahoma City and just to kind of be in proximity and kind of be closer to families as I was building those relationships. And um, what I'd actually kind of, I've read this book, um, that just kind of talked about how the author ministered in obscurity for a decade before anyone knew his name. And I was like, I'm going to be that guy. Uh, and so a few years ago, I actually had an opportunity to do, uh, I got asked to do a Ted talk just about, um, kind of this idea of, and then moments and some of the work I've been doing. And I said, no, cause it kind of fell into that 10 year window of, um, you know, just being in a relationship with people. Uh, and so then it came back up again. Um, I know the, the guys who organized Ted, they know about the idea. I've shared it with them. They're like, Hey, we think this would be an amazing Ted X talk. Is it something that you'd want to do? And at that point I was, you know, outside of that 10 year window, I felt kind of called to be able to share some of these stories. And so, yeah, I said, said yes to it, started crafting, crafting the idea uh, more into kind of a, a Ted talk esque uh, right. communication storyline and, and got to do that back in September. Man. Well, it was powerful. You did a phenomenal job. Thank you. So what spurred all this on though? Like what happened in life that spurred all this on? Yeah. So I've, I've, I would say I'm, I've always been a people person. I love people. And as I started to get to know my students, um, these guys kind of became more like nephews and like family to me. And so they had dreams and goals and aspirations and all these things. Uh, and, um, if, if you watch the talk, you'll kind of see a story that I play out um, where one of the, these young guys, Damarion, asked me a question about how people get the good jobs or like I have these aspirations, like how do people achieve their their dreams? And I knew what kind of the the American dream would say. 
the American dream would say, Hey, work hard, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and you too can be successful in America. And I knew I couldn't answer in that way just because I knew my story was more nuanced than that. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I said, Hey, I'm going to take some time and I'm going to like research this. I want to interview people on how people get to where they're at. And so that's where it kind of came about this concept of and then moments um, that we can kind of kind of get into if you want to. Wow. All right. So let's let's jump into it. Um, yep. Give me some of your and then moments first. Like what were some of those big and then moments that has yeah. truly changed your life? I have so many. So typically, so I'll give a little background on the and then moment. Typically, when we tell our stories, uh, we kind of hit the high points or we we're just telling our successes and we frame it with this phrase that's kind of a transition phrase. So, for example, I grew up in Bartlesville and then went to University of Oklahoma and then worked at this uh, oil company. Well, there's a lot of nuance and detail that is hidden in that one phrase and then. And so that's what I interviewed people about was those and then moments like what made up um, all of the things that allowed me to do that. And so one of my and then moments was uh, my parents being able to afford for me to go to OU. And so they they paid for my college. While I was there, uh, I had a roommate. His name was Daniel. And Daniel's mom was senior vice president of HR at that oil company. And so she had seen the uh, camp. I started a campus ministry while I was at OU. She saw the work that we were doing um, and then made an introduction for me to do an interview at that company, which kind of turned into, you know, a full-time full-time opportunity with them, which was amazing. So I have a ton of those moments throughout my life of those. And then moments, the people kind of showing up. Uh, but that was what I was really fascinated in of hearing other people's and thens, and then being able to share that with some of the younger guys uh, that I was mentoring and still continue to mentor. You know, it's really encouraging when I, I was thinking back when I hear and then moments when people are truly vulnerable and honest mm. And they share their their story, the raw story. It is incredible how much inspiration that yeah. I gain from that. And I, I think you're. I think what you're saying is you've experienced the same thing. Oh, one one thousand percent. I mean, I've since the TED Talk was released. There's been a lot of uh, interest around it, which has been amazing. And so I've got to speak in different places and at different companies and in conferences and things so far. And it's, it's almost kind of an emotional response to it, right? Of, I mean, I met with people who kind of are teary eyed. Um, there's kind of this emotion that comes up of gratitude of like really reflecting on people who have helped us get to where we're at. And so that's been really cool to kind of hear feedback of saying, Hey, Taylor, there's names that I haven't thought about in a very, very long time, you know, who have helped me get to where I'm at today. And it really makes me want to be an and then moment for other people. Um, and so that's, I think where the power is of that reflection, that vulnerability really fosters other people to have that vulnerability as well. Yeah. So one of the things in the, uh, Ted talk is you said you moved to the East side to be in the mix of it all. Why? <laughs> uh, so, uh, the East side of Oklahoma city for your listeners who are outside of Oklahoma city or don't really know Oklahoma City. It's um, predominantly black, predominantly low income side of Oklahoma City. And people who who don't live on the east side 
typically classify the east side by all of its negative characteristics rather than the positive characteristics. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I am kind of a believer that relationship fosters in proximity. Um, so the closer you are together, uh, the more we get to kind of bump up, bump up against each other, uh, just the easier it is to kind of pick up my guys and take them to a thunder game and go out to eat and be closer to families and uh, all of that. And so that's when I was just like, man, I want to, I'm driving to the east side eight days a week, it seems like. And so I think it's time after I'd built up relationships and had friendships, even in the community, in the neighborhood that I um, ended up moving in, was time for me to kind of just move to be closer um, as I'm, I'm picking up people to take them to work or pick them up from work. Or um, like I said, go to sporting events and things like that. It was just so much easier to kind of be in proximity as well as the like the problems of the neighborhood become mine as well. Uh, we've had a lot of issues with like businesses in our neighborhood. Like there's a lot of explosions that happen. Um, there's like a car crushing plant. So there's big explosions. Uh, there's another plant kind of down the street that puts off a lot of dust and particles into the neighborhood. Uh, and so that affects me um, in a very real way. Yeah. I hear the explosions, all of that. And so it just kind of changes the dynamics of how I'm invested in this community uh, in a way that it actually affects my property value. Uh, it affects my neighbors who I care about a lot, who get startled by these explosions. Uh, all of those things just become a little bit more tangible and a, a little bit more real. And I, I got to dive deeper into this because I think people are still asking why, you know, like <laughs> most people, uh, you know, they're thinking, how can I be in the safest place? How can I be in a, an, a nice area, Right. Um, what do other people think about me and where I live? Um, and it seems like you've gone kind of the opposite. Um, now I haven't seen your house and, and I don't even care to, but, yeah. but ultimately knowing what I know, you know, you're, you're not in, you're not in the nicest place that you can be. Um, you've probably sacrificed quite a bit, especially if you're hearing explosions and you've got dust and all of these things. Like, um, this is, this is not the exact place I would want to live. So I'm just trying to understand further as to why, like what has happened in your life? What's what big thing has happened in your life or a lot of small things that is yeah. causing you to, let's just say some, some people would say this is crazy. Yeah, I would, I would say it's a calling. I feel I feel a call and connection to the black community for many, many years. Um, so it, it just kind of, kind of made sense. I would, you know, say my faith also, um, mm. just as kind of informed some of that, uh, in some of those decisions as well as, you know, I, I didn't do this alone. So it was like, I, I'm not married. I don't have any kids, but I, I say that in a sense, like I had deep relationships before I moved into the East side. So it wasn't, Day one, I just I just moved in. I've been working in schools for uh, probably two or three years at that point. I had older adults in the neighborhood who I'd met. Um, I was going to the neighborhood association uh, meetings, you know, things like that, where I had relationships already built up. So it wasn't just like a a cold move in, um, yeah. essentially. So I, I'd already kind of invested in um, working with small business businesses on the east side and helping parents get you know side gigs off the ground and all of that so i very much had kind of relational networks kind of built up um, before making that move and, and even talking with those families and those kids about it 
uh, was was something that informed the decision. So yeah, it's a it's a it's a little bit different than kind of what what you said, but it's been one of the best decisions of my life. Hmm. I would say there are people along my path who have guided me in these decisions. Uh, my grandfather, who's no longer living, the way he he cared for people uh, with wherever he was at was a big influence on my life. My mother, my my father, the same way. So I've just been around people who have cared for people well, and that's what I wanted to do. So one thing that came to mind when you said that was we have a lot of people who say they care for each other, mm -hmm. but they care for each other within their comfort. So if it if it makes them a little uncomfortable or if it causes them to be too uncomfortable, then they kind of write that as eh, uh, maybe I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, 100 percent. I think there's there's a lot of. I think growth happens in the discomfort. Uh, so when, when you're outside of your comfort zone, there's just, everything is kind of heightened, right? Um, not knowing the, the lay of the land, not knowing the language, not knowing, you know, a lot of different factors, um, that, that take place when you're outside of your comfort zone. And so I think naturally as humans, we just, we want to be safe. We want to protect ourselves. Uh, and so that is kind of the, the natural, um, state now, with that, there, there's kind of a lot of um, benefits if you're fortunate enough to be able to craft that world for you. Um, hmm. So a lot of things that I'll, I'll say, like the, the black community historically hasn't had that benefit because they have to go into an environment or work worlds that they're not surrounded by people who look like them. Uh, they have right. to kind of navigate the, the conversation a little bit uh, differently than what they might might normally do. There's a lot of different... Uh, factors that play into place that could be, you know, outside of the outside of the comfort zone in something that they have to play into in order to be successful, specifically in Oklahoma, which is predominantly predominantly white. So I think that's kind of where the race conversation comes in a little bit uh, when we're talking about like cultural differences um, and even kind of class differences. Maybe um, there's a lot of lot of different nuance that that shows up there. So this is. Uh, the way I'm going to say this, I don't want it to come off disrespectful at all, but do people, do people come up to you or, you know, you've moved into this community and do people say like, what's this white guy doing uh, trying to help the black people? Right. Mm. Like, and I say that in all respect, I absolutely, yeah. um, I, 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 I love, I love everyone, but I, yeah. but really, I mean, like you've gone into a situation where you've got to have some people pushing back saying like, what is this For guy sure. doing? Yep, for sure. I think there are a lot of good reasons to question. I'll say that. Um, what I've noticed is being on the east side for almost a decade uh, or being on the east side for a decade is there have been a lot of people who look like me who have come to the east side and made promises mm. that they don't follow through on. Why is that? Is that like political? Is it mostly um, political or what, what, I mean, what is it? I think it's... Um, yeah, there, I think there's a lot of different dynamics. So yeah. there, there might be political reasons. There might be reasons that, you know, people come come over here and don't understand the historical context. So they they bow out early mm. um, because it might be harder work than what they thought might have been a bigger investment than what they wanted to make. Um, there was an image that they wanted to portray and it wasn't working out in the way that they thought. And so it's just easier for me to back out and say I tried. Uh, and so time and time again, um, people have made promises to this specific community and not always backed it up. 
And so for me to come in, I might look the part of the of the person who's come in a hundred times before and made promises and not followed through. I think the consistency in in quietly serving um, for this long has given me a little bit of credibility uh, in, in this community into certain families. But yeah, of course, um, for good reason, you get get questioned in different spaces. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. I mean, it, and it shows up in a lot of different ways. So like promises, talking about kind of the historical context of this, uh, promises made about potential job opportunities that might be available for the community that that never make make it or promises of a grocery store, a new grocery store that that's going to go in at the at the main intersection and it doesn't happen or they pro- or people come in and promise, you know, we're going to have this really cool space that your neighborhood association is going to meet and then they build the building and then it's no longer available for us to meet in. Right. So I've only been here 10 years and I've seen time and time again, we're not even talking about the historical context of some of my neighbors who have lived here for 40, 50, 60 years uh, in, in seeing what the city does or people who look like me have done to a community that would cause them to have some of those, that kind of buffer in between us or that kind of, Hey, I need to kind of see what's going on here. Uh, that, that comes from that. Would you say there's a lot more motivation to change people versus love people as what you've been trying to do? Yeah, I think in, I think in general, yes. Uh, I think people come in or nonprofits or, or businesses say, Hey, there's kind of this model of a person that we're looking for and you don't really fit it. So we want you to change, you know, the way that you navigate or talk or uh, communicate or body language or your hair. And in order for you to kind of fit in at our place, you need to do X, Y, and Z. And so what I really think that does to a city is say, we don't, we don't see you for who you are. We don't value you for you as a person. We want you to fit into our kind of cookie cutter or whatever that might be. And so we're actually losing out on a lot of value that our communities around Oklahoma city would bring to our city. So in the, in the Ted talk, there was a point where you got uh, a little emotional, not, yeah. not the great time for a Ted talk. I mean, you only got a few minutes. Oh yeah. So, I mean, you're already, you know, I, I started getting anxious for you, you know, just, yeah. just seeing, I was like, Oh no, he's already, he's already put, you know, he's three more minutes, <laughs> so, but you, you said, uh, you got emotional, right. When you said, uh, something to the effect of like, let me, I, I need to, I, I need to introduce myself, you know, and, and share with you who I am. Yeah. And I was just wondering, why did you get so emotional at that, mm-hmm. at that moment? Good question. So uh, to be completely transparent, I was emotional the entire time. Oh yeah. Uh, so uh, I was on the verge of tears the whole time. I think my voice cracks one or two times. Yeah. Uh, one, I'm just kind of an emotional guy in general. Two, I'm very passionate about this topic. Yeah. Uh, and and I kind of just felt the weight of one. I want to an address two different audiences that I love very very much. Mm. Right. So I was. Hopefully, when you watch the talk, you know who I'm kind of talking to. Kind of the the holders of opportunity. Uh, people I love, love very dearly. And then I also want to honor a community that I care about very deeply and I want to help unlock more opportunities for. Yeah. So on stage, maybe you're kind of seeing this dance that I'm, I'm kind of doing, um, and choosing my words very intentionally, but I'm, I'm very passionate about it. So I'm emotional. And so I got to the point where I wanted to share my and thens and I, I'd done this before, 
where I shared my and thens and kind of what I say is it was an avalanche after that of people sharing there. So I think I kind of felt the weight of like, all right, I'm about to share these moments of people who have helped unlock opportunity for me in hopes that other people would do the same. And so I think I, you know, kind of got emotional. I was thinking about Damarion. I was thinking some of my other guys of like, they know the story, but I'm retelling it in a public way for you to see, you know, this level of vulnerability. So I think a lot of things were, were going on in my head at that moment. Um, but after the talk, definitely had an emotional release. Um, yeah, got to got to cry it out um, before yeah. I kind of made it way to the to the other part of the theater where I got to meet uh, and introduce myself to to different people who were there. So it was a, it was a great time. Yeah, I feel like you summed it up for me uh, just in dangerously vulnerable podcast. Um, the the really the whole theme here is and them moments, right? Like, and 100%. and what's so hard is the way I have grown. Uh, I'm a very experiential learner. I'm very emotional myself right. as well. Um, and so we, we got a lot of things in common here. Um, and I usually, I usually start crying on the podcast sometimes. And so uh, that said though, that is the way that I have been able to make it. And I'm not saying make it to success. Yeah. Great. I've had some success or whatever you have, whatever. I've had a lot of, I've had a lot of learnings. And, and sometimes I, I would be down enough to say it was an absolute failure kick in the mm. face. Right. I hear you. Oh. But it's incredible when you feel free enough to be able to share those things with people. And I've gotten so used to it now. Like some people look at me and they're like, I cannot believe you just shared that. <laughs> I cannot believe you I just shared it. that. Right you know, like your perception, you know, like people could look at you completely different. It's really funny when I do it with clients because they ask and then I'm like, they're probably going to fire me after this. They're going to have no, tr <laughs> no trust, this? no faith in me that I can do anything that I told them that I can do after I tell them um, yeah. my story. But there is something so incredibly real mm. about being able to do that. I agree. I think something that you said there, something that's sticking out to me, uh, and, I, and I think about this a lot, is this idea of failure in kind of the freedom to fail. Mm. I think there's specific communities that have more freedom to fail than others. And I think when you, when you have the freedom to fail, you're more creative. Um, you can take more risks. You can come up with new ideas. You can take a little bit bigger step. And because if you have a freedom to fail, that means you're not going to die if it doesn't work. Right. And yeah. so I watched this video a few years ago that really summed up this, this for me. And it was this analogy. I watched this video on a trapeze school. Okay. You know, it was like circus trapeze, yeah. uh, all that. And so how they, how you learn how to do trapeze is you climb up the ladder. Um, there's a professional with you. They, you know, pull the trapeze back, you grab onto it, but you're in a harness. Okay. So you're harnessed up, bungees, all of that. Also below you, you have two safety nets. Okay. So you swing out and you kind of start small and you come back. And you see this person throughout the video gain more and more courage to do a flip, to grab onto the other person. Like we've all seen kind of the circus act, right? And then you move up to the progression of you take off the safety harness. Um, and now you're really kind of doing doing the thing. But what you forget is that you have two safety nets below you, mm. right? So even if I miss this flip, 
I land in one safety net. And if that happens to break, which it never does, uh, there's another safety net below you. And so I think people like me who grew up in my situation, I'm, I'm that trapeze artist who has the safety harness and I'm swinging out uh, and I, and I have these things. And then looking at some of my students and my guys, they don't have those same safety nets. Why, why and, is that? Like, what is that? Is that, would you say it's more financial safety nets or just uh, social capital? I mean, what do you, what do you think it is? I, I think it's all of the above. I think it's very nuanced and that's what I'm excited to, to kind of talk about uh, in, in the future months in kind of coming out with new content is this idea of, of safety is very nuanced because people are very quick to say, I grew up poor. You know, I, I didn't have a lot. Worked um, hard. I worked, I worked hard to get to where I'm at. And, and I'm very gracious to that. And I want to hear about it. And then I start asking a few other questions that kind of unlock similar to what you do on, on this podcast. And this is why I'm here and why I love what you're doing is you ask these little questions that start to unlock. Oh, well, you know, I actually did have, you know, so-and-so who unlocked this idea or, you know, if this were to fail, I, I, my parents could afford to, maybe I could move back in with them. Um, or maybe I had access to this laptop, um, and technology and Wi-Fi at a younger age. So, um, I could learn how to code, um, and be able to build stuff and fail and, and it be okay. Um, or I have enough relationships that if I don't knock this interview out of the park, I have other options. Right. Um, and so those are, those are some of the safety nets that I see, um, especially in the community that I grew up that are, are readily available and almost kind of unnoticed if you don't know what other people don't have. And so the last thing I'll share um, on this topic is during my interviews with people asking them about their and then moments, when people typically tell their story, they compare up and they don't compare down. Mm, okay. You got to go into that a little bit more. <laughs> okay. So when, when they're telling their stories of success or kind of how they grew up or kind of their origin story, they're always comparing up and not comparing down. So it's, man, we didn't, have the nice car like the Potters, or we didn't have the the pool in the backyard. I didn't have a dad who, you know, did this. I didn't have a mom who was a doctor. I didn't have this, but we never compare um, down essentially, right? To yeah. people who have less, um, mainly because um, we're just very siloed. So you don't really know, right? Uh, and, and then the other is it's, it's not as glamorous, right? Because the American story is grew up with nothing, built what I have. Right got here on my own. Right. So that's it's what it's so self-centered that that's, that's incredible when you think about it. And I just, I don't know. I continue to think about how lives could be changed, how mm. people could make better choices, be more discerning, be wiser. If we were to share things and be, be more thankful to, to 1, be able to, um, to be able to share things like, you know, I looked around and I saw all that I had and I said, I better take, I better take advantage of it because most, a lot of people don't have what I have, you know? Yeah. And the flip I, side of, of unlocking opportunity for other people, right? right? We, we do this naturally within our own circles, the challenges and what I think I'll come back to it. We're leaving a lot of opportunity. We're leaving a lot of untapped potential in our city that is we haven't tapped yet we haven't unlocked for people to really play and i think we will become a top city 
when more people in our community on the south side, on the east side, and different parts of the city get to really be them full, be their full selves when it comes to art, when it comes to music creation, when it comes to their skills in the workplace, with their business ideas, all of that. That's when I really think Oklahoma City, which I'm passionate about, uh, is really going to thrive. Yeah. You got me thinking about uh, my my initial thought was this all starts in the home. You know, as a, as a child and how you're nurtured and then moments can look very different based on how you grow up and how your, how your family, how your, uh, your mom and dad look at those things, right? How they model that. It's really interesting. I've, uh, in business just recently, it has been incredibly hard, incredibly hard, um, and specifically financially, I lost a big client and, um, you know, first off, it hurts your pride, you know, to some degree and then hurts oh, you yeah. financially. And then you're looking at your team and you're like, oh my gosh, like, I don't want to be the company that has to lay someone off or whatever. Right. Like just all those things go through your mind. Right. Yes. I'm a small, I, I'm a small company, but still it affects you. It really affects you the same way. People like I love, I love our people. Yes. And, um, you know, I've had to really be honest with our, with my family. I've got two, two boys. We've, we've had struggles, um, over the last months. Um, we've had some loss. We had a loss of a baby and mm. another one. Um, and my mm. wife's had two miscarriages and, uh, it has been tough. So not only like getting hit on business side, but then getting hit on the personal side too. I mean, you know, it's just, it's one of those things. It's a lot of, and then moments <laughs> that sometimes you wish weren't there. Yeah, I hear right? you. But one of the things that I'm really thankful is that we have tried to be incredibly honest to the point of being probably dangerously vulnerable with our children and being able to share like, guys, this is hard. Yes. Now, we're not going to sit around and, and mope in it all day, but it's okay. It's hard. We can cry. We can, we can laugh. You can be happy. We can be sad. We can be, you know, whatever, you know? Um, but it's been incredibly hard. And I, one of the things that I think is just really incredible and in what you're, and what you're saying is, you know, my hope is that people will hear this and start it in the home, not just try to go do it for other people, yep. but start it in, in the home and, and where they can make a huge impact. I mean, I just think about, I just think about the lives of children and, you know, even what you're doing with children that haven't experienced that, right? Yep. What if they were able to experience that, how it would change the whole trajectory of their life? Yep. And, and, and I'm, I 1000% agree. I'm sorry to hear about the, you know, the, the loss in your life. Um, I love how you are caring for your kids in that way and giving them that skill set, right? That emotional uh, IQ to be able to process these, these big emotions that they might have or small emotions at times, you know, it's like, yeah. And I have no that. clue. I really have no clue sometimes how to, how to do it all. Right. And, and, and what I'll say to that is, is we know that the more caring adults that kids have in the life, in their life, the better they do outside of their parents. Right. Mm -hmm. Parents are, are, are important. I will never downplay parents. Yeah. I also know the value of loving and caring adults outside of your parents, 
right? I'm, I'm not a parent yet, but I want my kids to have other loving and caring adults in their life that get to speak into their life in different ways. And so what's cool is um, I and a few and, and several others on the east side specifically, just because this is the community we're passionate about, is like we want to be that other caring adult. Like we know so many parents um, who care for their kids and because of economic reasons, you know, have to work, can't be at a basketball game. And so we go to the basketball game, texting scores, you know, back to parents who are who want to be there, um, but their employer won't let them off. You know, different different stories, just countless stories of uh, times that economics really plays into the life of a family and what parents can and can't provide. And that really comes back to the and then moments, I think, for me of, well, how did you get this opportunity compared to this other person who got this opportunity to work at a job that has more flexible hours that, you know, X, Y, and Z that allows them to be home, um, to do a dinner time at a dinner table and kind of create this environment or be able to uh, afford a house that allows your kids to have the space, the actual like physical space to process emotions, mm -hmm. maybe in their own room or just more space in their room. Like these are all the nuances I'm interested in. Um, that really kind of come back to this idea of and then moments and how people unlock opportunity for their families um, and how they kind of get to where they're at. Yeah. What would you say uh, on the and then moments? You know, I'm, I'm a, uh, all right, let's just say I, I'm probably a, a more on the negative side than positive side. Uh, people are like, why are you talking about all the failures? I'm like, man, I just feel like I can learn something from it. I'm tired yeah. of hearing all the fake, you know, stuff, you know, about we did well, you know, we're so successful and all that stuff. I'm like, I can find that on Facebook. Um, yeah. I don't need to find that, you know, in our conversations. Right. Yeah. I think also that it's so helpful. You start understanding who you can trust. The more, mm. the more they're willing to share, um, and I think it can be unhealthy sometimes, but I, but the more they're willing to share, you can start telling like, okay, these people are real. Yeah. And the, and the moments that I'm so interested about are the, and then moments that are compared down versus up. I think I'm saying that right. Yeah. I, I, um, I know where you're going. Yeah. And I just love to know, are there any of those, are there any of those moments where you'd say, man, that was a, that was a, and then moment that, that was just incredible. I, I, I'll, let me wrap around to that. I, yeah. I hear where you're going. The, the other aspect to, and then moments in seeing people, Yeah, I think on kind of, you kind of talk about down or maybe negative and then moments is yeah. like, maybe the, maybe if we ask different questions of people like who've been incarcerated yeah, and ask about their and then moments and maybe see like, Hey, this person didn't have this. And maybe if they had this, you know, it, it might be a different story for them. And so that's, that's kind of where, you know, my mind goes of wanting to be and then moments for other people, but also like maybe the way we view our criminal justice system looks a little bit different. If we ask different questions, maybe our school looks a little bit different. If we start asking different questions about, you know, resources and the teachers and the positive adults. And, you know, that's just kind of where my mind goes with all of this of trying to create, um, more access to positive and then moments for people in our, in our society. Um, for me, you know, it's like, like I said, you know, my parents, my grandparents, uh, Jeff Berg is a name of a guy who encouraged me. Like there's, and then moments that aren't just, 
hey, I unlocked a, a door for you to get a job, right? right. Uh, I can think back to Mr. Uh, and Mrs. Keedy, who were my sixth grade basketball coaches. It was a husband and a wife uh, on our traveling basketball team. And they saw that I was not going to have a very prosperous career in basketball. I'm not going to make a lot of money playing <laughs> basketball. Uh, and so um, they encouraged me in a way they addressed me as Mr. President. Okay. That that's what they called me, Mr. President. You know, it was like when, when they would see me now, the odds of me becoming president of the United States are slim to none. And I don't want to be president. Right. But those two people instilled a level of confidence through the way that they spoke to me. That was an, and then moment, right. That was an encouragement um, that definitely changed the course of Man, they see me as a leader. They see that I can make decisions. They see that I have this confidence about myself and they're boosting my confidence to be able to be that leader in all these different spaces that I go to. Um, and so I don't want to make and then moments like unreachable, like, man, I can't offer anyone a job or I can't do any of these things. I think it goes back to those nuances of those people who come into our story that really unlock these different things for us. Mm. Asking the right questions, asking different questions. That's a tough one. For sure. I think it's, it's an art. And, and you know this as, as someone who runs a podcast is you start getting better at asking questions, right? Sure. You, start, you start asking different questions. We ask the same questions over and over again. And so my hope with the TED Talk was to introduce kind of a new paradigm of let's ask different questions. It's time to ask different questions. Uh, on this. And then as you start to do this, you will start developing that muscle to be able to identify when people are telling stories of like, Hey, wait, wait, back up. Tell me, tell me a little bit more about that part. Right. Wait, wait, back up. Yeah. Your dad owned the farm in rural Oklahoma, but how, how did they get that extra land or that, or that tractor? Or when it broke down, like, how did you fix the tractor? You know, like those are the questions you start to ask when you start flexing this muscle um, that you're you know, so great at doing the podcast, but my hope is that we can help other people really identify those, those questions to ask when, when talking to their friends and family. Yeah. Well, our time is almost up and I could sit here for hours, uh, talking <laughs> about this. I feel like, uh, you know, what's Same. funny is that I thought about starting another podcast that was, and then moments, but then I was like, I feel like I would steal something from you <laughs> from that. Yeah. And then I was like, I can't do that. Uh, so I just had to ask you to be on the podcast. <laughs> well, so that's, that's something that I will probably be launching, um, this year. So maybe if you would join me on that podcast, I would process some of your, and then moments. I got some, I got some dirt, man. <laughs> I got, got some dirt. dirt on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so well, I want to hear it. And apparently and, uh, I'm willing to share it with everyone. Yeah. So, uh, that's awesome. man, that's, that's fantastic. Well, how do, how do people, hear and learn more about this. Yep. So uh, probably the, the best place right now, I do have a website. It's called and then moments.com. Uh, and then my social media handles and all of that are on there. Sign up for a newsletter. That's where you can find the TEDx talk, uh, as well as reach out through that. Uh, if you have questions, you have pushback. I love people who, who push back on the idea. It makes me kind of craft the idea a little bit more. Um, so if there's kind of pushback to even this podcast, you can, you can reach out to me there. Um, or you just want to like high five and say, Hey, I love what you're doing here. Are some of my, and thens I'm definitely open to connecting. I've been getting a lot of, you know, DMS and messages about, 
hey, this has impacted me here. Hey, I want to share this name of this one person who was my and then. And I love all that stuff. That that stuff will never get old to me. I will tell you right now. Um, yeah. So that that's that's the best best way to reach me. Awesome, awesome man. Well, hey, thank you for thank you for being on. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, thanks for being a part of some of my and then moments um, through this. So uh, truly appreciate it, and I'm really excited to see uh, what you're going to do and what other people are going to do as well. Kagan, okay, thanks thanks for having me. I love the name of your podcast. Um, dangerously vulnerable. This is something I'm going to be tuning in um, to. I'm glad you messaged me. So I have a new podcast that I've liked and subscribed. Oh man. Thank you. Um, I'll do that promo for you. Uh, So I'm excited to hear the other stories, man. Like, I mean, we're, we're very much in, in tune on, on trying to pull out these, these stories and these nuance from people. So I love the work you're doing. Um, I'm looking forward to working with you in the future on, on whatever you got going. All right, man. Well, thanks. Here we go. Thanks for joining us today on another episode of the Dangerously Vulnerable Podcast. To learn more about me, the Visionaries Wingman, head over to KaganHinson.com. If you're willing, subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment and tell us what you think. Until next time, keep breaking through those barriers that are holding you back from accomplishing your extraordinary vision.